Hello and welcome to the Unofficial Controller Podcast, your weekly gaming podcast, episode 50, The History of Capcom, part two. With me, George, and as always joined by Tom, John Renault, to my clapped out Citroen. How's it going? Hi, mate. I'm good, thank you. Um, yeah, we're uh, fully set up in the studio, nice and safe. Yes. Phil, the producer, uh, Phil, earning his money, says that we're now at the <clears throat> full audio podcast level so he's going to go off and put it through his board and rumor has it he worked on one of the failed beatles albums that never actually got released <laughs> they got him in he's not a young a chap, album is phil the producer he, he's got some history to him as you mentioned in one of the other shows a little checkered at times um, yeah, yeah the yeah. fallout from itv wasn't great but, you know, that's how you managed to find him, treading the boards. At looking, the, uh, looking at that record in the background as well, he's got quite the, uh, quite the hit of, um, of that, sales there. That. Platinum copy. It's a gold copy of Wet, Wet, wow. Wet. Unbelievable. Popped I in. I can't believe it. Sold he used out. To, he used to manage Marty Pello, I understand. Was that his name? Yeah, during the tragic era. I'm not going to say <laughs> who introduced who to what, but, you know, didn't go so well for Marty, did it? But, uh, Phil certainly got a little bit more than his cut of that record deal, that's for sure. Tom, he those did. listening, they're thinking, oh, crikey, heart back to the Farmerton era. No, wait, this is the studio era. This is season two, baby. Phil, the producer on, making sure we're measured to 16 LUFs, the podcasting standard. We've been mastered to the highest level of audio. So maybe they're hearing me a little bit clearer than they used to and you, although we're still doing this remotely. I've snuck down to Phil's studio to do my end of the bargain and you're piping in through the Chinese government's Zoom app. So probably Sung Ming sat in his palace going, what are these two cherries up to? And he's now tuned in for a live streamed session of the show listen those that pay attention in the previous episodes they know that in a moment i'm going to ask you what you've been playing and then we're going to have a little bit of the racy white hot news and you're probably going to have some bonus news because uh i didn't manage to get every single one of your wonderful news items that you picked this week in but if you want to bonus news them up, you can do. Just give me the thumbs up for the clap. Uh, okay. And then we're going to, we've rocked up to the meat and veg at that point. It's the feature, Capcom Part 2. It's a slogger knocking, so just uh, part yourself down for that one. Then we're going to slip into the slim pickings that's the new releases due to the ongoing uh, pandemic that's gripped the world. But uh, Stingray, the man that we know, uh, delivers the pirate media to our doors. We go through his boot and talk about that. And then we bookend the show with the uh, what we're hoping to play. But Tom, let's kick it off. Odders has been gripping his nilled Mad Cat's wheel uh, that he got from the <laughs> Chazza shop for 50p. What have you been playing? Uh, well, I'm back to work this week after being in, in lockdown. Uh, in the boards? So- but before I did that, yeah, <laughs> before I did that, uh, I managed to finish Final Fantasy VII Remake. Oh, uh, the man finished a game. Yes, yeah. He does finish the odd game. 
we're not going to go. We might go into mild spoiler territory. Maybe oh, a korma. Maybe a korma level of of uh, spoilers here. Let me tell you one thing, Tom. Right? I'm a man who gets a full sweat on eating a Ginster's <laughs> spicy slice. So a korma for me would be literally it's telling me time. how the whole game went down. Yeah, I would, I'll be up no. the next morning, burning at the wrong end of my body. It wouldn't be pleasant. No, I'll just probably briefly touch on um, like location, a few locations and that. We're not going to talk major spoilers at all. Um, if you don't want to know anything about the game, please turn off for, for a minute or so. Um, if you, if you want to hear a little bit about it and how good it is, then stay tuned. So, uh, we discussed the last week about the characters and how well they were sort of designed and still stand the test of time. Uh, that really holds that? up. Yeah, hundred percent. I think they're the strongest part of the game. The four main characters, there is a fifth, but he's not playable, but obviously people will probably recognize him, uh, from the original. Um, okay. there's a lot of controversy about the ending of the game. Obviously we're not going to discuss that, but I'd be interested to hear listeners, uh, thoughts on that when they do finish it especially if you played the original I've gone in with fresh eyes as I've never played it before so to me it left me with a lot of questions but also a lot of intrigue to see where it goes next DLC uh, very no I think it'll be straight into part two which hopefully won't take five years to make but um, now they've got the engine built it does have its problems it's like we said last week it's it's very linear um, it's like go through section A to get to the next part of the story and so it, just, it works just bring me in out of the rain for a moment I, <laughs> I don't know why but I'd convinced myself that they'd kind of resigned that chapter's idea to the bin and they were just bringing out the full game you're telling me they've only brought out half the game yeah I mean it only covers probably seven hours of the original yeah it's uh, it took me 45 hours to complete uh, that's doing most of the side quests as well so it's a meaty game it's worth your money I think it definitely was. Hmm. Um, visually, those textures really need some work, but it, it looks stunning in other parts. Like you go into the Shinra building, which is the main antagonist company of the mm-hmm. game who are sort of pillaging the world of its life energy, uh, the the Ma- Marco, Mako, um, which is like the lifeblood of the planet. They're using it to uh, run... Um, run the city and uh, power electric and, and so on and so forth. They, um, the inside of the building is fantastic. It's like a proper corporate building, but it's at, it's at night, so it's all lit up really well inside and the reflections and the effects, especially when you're in battle with the magic attacks and stuff, are, are really special. Nice. Um, other nice little touches, probably the Airbuster battle boss, it's probably got to be one of the best built-up boss fights I've played in a long while. So, again, very minor spoilers. You proceed through this like factory uh, that's building these mechanical robots for Shin- the Shinra company, like security robots. And uh, as you overthrow each sort of part of the factory, you can choose to strip the boss of a certain weapon or, or downgrade it so that you can make the boss fight easier when you get to it. It's still mm-hmm. quite tough. Uh, that boss fight also has probably one of the most epic like guitar shredding uh, feet choir sound 
classical soundtrack to it. It's just epic on all proportion. The the, the fight must last about fifteen minutes as well. Um, really, really enjoyed that part, and uh, a, a definite highlight for me. Um, other than that, I've not I've played a bit of um, Warzone on Call of Duty, um, and that's about it. Been uh, fairly quiet. I'm looking forward to Streets of Rage Four uh, in a couple of weeks. Yeah, but uh, other than that, uh, yeah, that's about it. Oh, sorry, no, one last thing. Ooh. I downloaded um, I downloaded Journey. The uh, PlayStation made a couple of games free to download uh, to help people stay, encourage people to stay at home. Uh, one yeah. was the Uncharted Collection, which I played on your recommendation, enjoyed. Uh, and the other was Journey. Um, really, it seems really good so far. I've only probably played about half an hour. I don't think it's a particularly long game at all. Uh, but obviously, visually and the audio are really impressive. It's very chilled out. Um, it, that works sometimes for me, but other times I do like a, a sort of full-on game, like a Final Fantasy, especially Final Fantasy VII with the combat. It's very, it's fast-paced, but it's not because you can slow time to do like the old fashioned way of selecting moves, almost like the turn-based way. But then when you go out of that, you're back into the full on sort of real time combat, which um, works really well, actually. It's surprising. I think that that's another bonus side of that game and how well that works. So credit to Square Enix for nailing that. Um, But yeah, that's it for me. How about you? Well, Tom, before I dive deep into what has been another Assassin's Creed filled week, it's time to turn on the Hoover, grab some pledging dusters because Phil, the producer, wants this studio cleaning up. It's time for some housekeeping. It's time to announce our monthly winner of our best comment. Oh, yeah. Uh, and the comment for the best comment, you, as always, you stroke through the comments on Insta and you've picked. Uh, a certain someone this week, normally one that strokes your ego, tells you how amazing you are. Uh, yeah, that's not enough for those. And off we are. <laughs> Believe you, there's more, more for you than there is for me, that's for sure. You're the star of the show. That's why I'm the clapped-out Citrion, and you are Jean Renault. So who is the commenter of the week? Of the month, sorry, should I say. We've been a bit delayed because of pandemic etc we won't dwell on that because you've come here to escape that you don't want us to talk about that so tom i've paused for long enough who is the lucky winner you looking surprised i am looking surprised you've picked a you i not- thought you were going to announce the winner no you're going to announce the winner oh really yes are you sure Yes, sure, I'm you want sure. to do that. Yeah. Well, who could it be? It's someone we don't hear much from, and I hope okay. we hear more from them after this. It's AJG1392. And his comment basically was very short, but it did make me chuckle during the uh, Doom retrospective. And he said, When my friend's dad told us what the BFG meant, I only must have been about 10. I just thought that was quite funny, especially because we had discussed the BFG um, during the during okay. the, uh, that episode. Well, so yeah, 
Congratulations. Well done, AJG underscore, was it 92? 1392? Yes. Presumably that was the year of his birth. He's one of the oldest listeners that we've got. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> he's from ancient times he is he's from uh, assassin's creed one um <laughs> so that's great so the thing is they need to uh go on to comic pictures etsy page or on his insta page pick out a picture or a t-shirt or a piece of artwork be it unofficial controller or be it any of those awesome things that he uploads to his Insta page, he can make that happen. You might need to bear with us. Again, I said I wasn't going to mention it again, but here I mention it again because of post and printing, etc. It may just take a little bit longer than usual. Um, before we uh, leap out the housekeeping section, though, one of our loyalist listeners, Retro Gamer Thomas, has leveled up. He's had a birthday. Happy birthday, sir. I hope Happy you're birthday. reclining in your gamer chair, Donna massaging your upper shoulders, cracking you a we craft should give him. We should thank him as well for his hard work during the current pandemic, delivering the mail. Yes. He's a better action hero postman than Kevin Costner anyway, isn't he? Well, I don't know about that, but... You know. I think he is. All right, then he is. If you want him to yeah. be that, stripped to the waist, he doesn't have to, but he chooses to, to deliver the mail. Uh, <laughs> fair play to you, retro gamer Thomas. He's uh, he's been checking in with me, and I've been checking in with him as well. It's uh, it's nice to see he's doing well. Uh, he's he's in the community as well. He's on Discord, uh, and that seems to be going well. Everyone's keeping each other motivated and happy during this time. So, if you're listening and you're not on the Discord, jump on our Insta page, which is probably where most of you found us anyway, and then click on the link and join us there. Um, just taking a moment again to thank you all, all of you, even if you're arriving here at Capcom Part 2, of all the places to pick up this show, um, to join us on the journey, we appreciate you listening. Do we not? I know you do. We do. We do. Looks good on your CV you when you're passing it around the theatres of London. So uh, <laughs> number one UK gaming podcaster. That's uh, it's my sideline. It's my sideline. I dabble a little bit, love. Is I, I dabble a little bit, you know, when you're putting on your full fest voice. Uh, and from there, you politely ask me what I've been playing. Well, let's keep this pretty short and sweet. As you know, I am playing through the Assassin's Creed series from one through to current times. I'm on Syndicate currently, and I've got a little bit to say about that, but I've got my opinions on unity uh love the setting love the character i thought the story actually when all was said and done was a little weak um i missed having the modern day abstergo to wander around spoilers for 300 year old games at this point but you know bear with me here um i actually thought rogue was a good game i thought assassin's creed 2 was a good game i thought brotherhood was an excellent game I thought Assassin's Creed 3 was an amazing game. Uh, Rogue was, as I say, you know, good. Uh, Getting to Unity, graphics are amazing. It's like you've stepped into a, a Turner painting. The, the colour palette, the implementation of HDR, again, Ubisoft's implementation of surround sound, absolutely first class. But here's the buts. To give you more freedom, in a modern-gen console release of Assassin's Creed, 
they've gave you these multiple options to go in and do the assassinations. It doesn't work really very well. It's a bit sort of broken. Um, with my skill set that I've developed on the other Assassin's Creed games, I got quite good at Assassin's Creed. I knew how it all worked. I knew how to make the game work for me. What's disappointing is in the other games, you could select the hidden blade as a weapon. But in this one, it's almost based on proximity. And to make it more realistic, if you stab someone and they fall down dead in front of somebody, you're not going to be able to stab the second guy in time. Also, because it's online-based, and I think that Ubisoft were desperate to get you to buy in-game currency, Uh, getting some of the stuff is hard. Uh, You know, what Assassin's Creed game passed two, can you not do a dual assassination in the air? You know, in this, you have to grind points to unlock that for your character. Absolute pony. I wandered around for the first section feeling like a complete donkey, feeling like I didn't even know how to play a video game. Again, it's got the same problems. You run away from someone. Uh, obviously, it's right trigger, uh, right, right, you know, whatever it is to run away from people and A, to then free run. But muscle memory from the previous games, if you hold down A, you can run a bit quicker. So yeah. obviously I'm trying to run away and then I, I grab on probably something about six foot off the ground and because there's no climbing points above that, hang there while I get stabbed and shot. Uh, <laughs> that ain't fun. That ain't cool. Um, like I say, I fell in love with Paris, the setting, the washed out bleach walls, the HDR on these modern tellies. You know, it took a while for the games. In You know when you used to walk out the garage in Project Gotham on 360 and it took a while for the light to dim down so you could see the cars outside. Yeah. That style of effect is applied in this and it's pretty good, but at times when you run into a dark candle lit room in the dirty suburbs of Paris, you find yourself running against the table for 10 seconds before the camera readjusts. And then you're like, Oh right. Okay. I'm running into a table. This is pretty dire. Uh, so anyway, I finished that. In the end, it was the usual sort of just spam the bad guy. There was it all boiled down to a rather simplistic three hit kill boss battle. To be honest with you, it was not tough. It was frustrating, but it wasn't tough. So feeling a bit down, I thought, you know, I was going to do a palate cleanser. I decided against it. I thought I've got Syndicate on the shelf. Let's get this done. So I loaded up Syndicate, set in London. Um, first thing that hit me feels like the graphics have took a knock compared to Unity I know Unity was pushing it so they probably thought actually we've asked a bit much of these consoles we ought to ramp this down a little bit but did did these two get released as a pair am I thinking they came a year apart though I think so yeah yeah I I just seem to remember them being very very close yeah well sorry you Syndicate's almost like it's a sequel, obviously, but it, yeah. it feels more like Assassin's Creed 2 to Assassin's Creed 1, which was Unity. So mm-hmm. the graphics have been knocked down a touch, I feel. Um, but, you know, London's great. You know I'm a stickler for history and all that sort of stuff, and I should have been pulled deep into the uh, French Revolution. And at times it was interesting. The crowds were phenomenal. Syndicate hasn't got the crowds, but you basically... Uh, Twin assassins. You're a you can be a man or the woman. Jacob and Evie, 
EV, I think the names are, Fry. And uh, Jacob's a bit cutty cutter. His, his dialogue is a little bit childish and annoying at times, whereas the, the female yeah. character has got a little bit more uh, about her, has been written far more eloquently. But the, the guy plays into my way of playing a little bit more Assassin's Creed, which is basically just kick and punch everybody and stab everybody within a 200-meter radius. Um, one thing I did like uh, about Unity was the ability to walk into your bar and you just automatically get a, a cup of coffee and watch a play, which I thought was slick and well done. In Syndicate, you get a train as your assassin hideout. Did you know that? No, that's cool. Yeah, what, is it, a, uh, does it move? Does it move around the map, or is it stationary? Yes, it does. It per it permanently oh, cool. uh, moves around uh, like a, a ring of track around London. And I stumbled across a little bit of a set. You know, I'm the guy in Grand Theft Auto Four who would get a taxi for as as and pick a, a point as far away on the map as possible, so I could sit and look out the camera out the window of the cab at the amazing recreation of Liberty City in that game, just the real life yeah. of it all, you can lean on the window in the leading most carriage and it says sightsee and you can click a button just to look out the window, dude. You know, I love that. Wow. So I, that. yeah, I do. So I put that on and, and the recreate, like I say, recreation is pretty good. Um, there's been some interesting missions, some new mechanics, but I'll have more to report on that. So my 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 quick flip side on Unity, get it, uh, but there's big caveats. Really, it's not that great. If you like Assassin's Creed and the lore, definitely play it. Although it's a bit lacking on Pieces of Eden and other bits and bobs like that. And for me, it's probably ranked lower in the games that I've played so far. Syndicate to this point has been. A pleasant surprise. It's more of a gamey game than Unity is. It's certainly got more interesting and uh, grabby mechanics and made me want to play it. Um, yeah, enjoying it. So that's rather long and protracted uh, walk through my back catalogue, Tom, takes us to the news. Um, which it does. I selected Stingray's boot there, so I'll put that back down. The news has scoured the very darkest regions of the internet to bring you the latest stories. First up, past the peaky. The hit BBC and Netflix crime drama is getting a video game adaptation that's being made with the help of series creator Stephen Knight. Games based on movies have been slow increasing both quality and quantity recently, but anything adapted from a TV show is still very rare. There was the OKish Narcos, Rise of the Cartels, and the flawed but ambitious VR game, Doctor Who Edge of Time. But Peaky Blinders' mastermind looks like it might be on a different level altogether. It charts the rise of Cillian Murphy's character, Tommy Shelby, and has you controlling him, Arthur, Polly, John, and the other major characters in the story that takes place just before the start of season one. Looking to be influenced by the excellent Commando series, if you remember that, Tom. Peaky Blinders Mastermind will be out on Xbox One, PS4, Nintendo Switch, and PC sometime this summer. Um, just to note, there was a Peaky Blinders VR game uh, rumoured to be in development or in development, but that has fallen by the wayside. We've heard no more. That's apparently made by the people who made the Doctor Who game, uh, the VR Oh, really? Game. So, I mean, I, it'll be nice to walk around some of the settings from that film, but what you can do in it, goodness only knows. Um, 
this looks more like an iOS game to me or a, a Google Play Store game than it does um, a traditional console release. But I'm intrigued. Uh, the Commando-style gameplay looks pretty cool, dude, if I'm honest. what Have you seen it? What do you make of that? Yeah, uh, it was a surprise to see him go that direction with it. I think um, every, everybody just wants third-person action adventures, I think, a lot of the time. But it's going to be, obviously, a smaller project than that. But I do like that Commando-style uh, gameplay. Um, I remember uh, rumours that's making a comeback as well. That would be exciting. Um, actual, yeah, the actual Commando series. Um, I think it works well with the way you can use each character's different ability. Um, so you've got like charm, muscle, um, intelligence to get your way, work your way through the levels. I think if you're a fan of the show, there'll be something there for you. I don't know as like a, just as a gamer whether I'd pick it up. Um, I do quite like the show, but for me... I'm not that interested in it, but I think it's uh, an interesting take on. I tell on you the, one uh, thing: you're going to go like series. The people who made the Order 1886 could have made a cracking Peaky Binders game with that engine. Because let's mm. face it, it's all about the yeah, visual yeah. of the combat and the evolving of the the storyline, etc. I was kind of thinking as I was playing uh, Syndicate last night. I was think, I was actually thinking that's why this news surprised me that this was out uh, or coming out. Because mm. I was thinking, oh. I wonder if this is a bit like Peaky Blinders. You know, I've got a gang and, you know, I'm doing all <laughs> this in it and all this other sort of stuff. That would be... Uh, but I think that would be far too formulaic. Peaky Blinders deserves a bit more if it's going to go down the route of a third-person game. So this is maybe like yeah. something that they can feel they can do um, without it ruining too much lore of the show. Mm. Um, I yeah. don't know. Um, and maybe, let's face it, there's probably a lot of casual uh, gamers that watch Peaky Blinders that might be intimidated by picking up a controller and going all out on a Peaky Blinders punch and stab game, but they might be slightly intrigued yeah, by true. the uh, Candy Crush style <laughs> gameplay of the Peaky Blinders. Uh, what's the next bit of news? It, oh, uh, no, more, I cut you off. You had more to say? No, or? I was just going to... Uh, no, just briefly, I was just going to say it, it's very hard for... Uh, when you've got a successful TV show to implement like a story into a game and have it not mess around with the lore of the TV series or or the ideas and, and the story yeah. that's already in place. It's, mm. it's really difficult, I think, for writers of video games to do that. Plus, they've got to make it last probably twice as long than a normal series. Easily. If you say, yeah, I think that's just quickly going back to some of the games I've played this year and last year, you kind of think when they get into the 20, 30 hour mark, you're like, a lot of this could have been cut to probably make a better condensed story. Uh, but then also, you, you want bang for your book, don't you, when you spend £50 on a game. So it's a hard balance. If this comes anyway. out and it's £50, I will pour salt on the very hat <laughs> I'm wearing and I'll eat it. I can't. If that ends up being yeah. £50, something's gone wrong. Yeah, How dare it I don't be? Th- I don't, yeah, I, I don't think that will be. Uh, next bit of news. More potential delays. We're living in very uncertain times right now, and although Sony has repeatedly said that the PlayStation 5 will still launch in holiday 2020, uh, as have Microsoft, there's always a chance that plans will have to be reworked. Unsurprisingly, publishers are well aware, uh, after speaking to the New York Times, Ubisoft CEO 
Eve Gulima gives us insight into good enough (laughs) into how the company is prepared for such an outcome. Uh, Gulima said uh, that his schedule hasn't been significantly impacted by the ongoing coronavirus situation, despite the fact that Ubisoft development teams are now working remotely. Sony and Microsoft have allowed developers to continue using next-gen dev kits, which is obviously a huge help. But if the worst does happen and the PS5 and Series X are delayed, Ubisoft is prepared. Uh, Gumas said, comments, we are not seeing significant impact to our timelines, but we're both in touch with all our partners. If there's a need to to adjust in order to do what's best for them and for our players, we will do so. This suggests that the publisher is ready to lay its up-and-coming games if necessary. After all, everything has to be working in sync for a successful console launch. There's no point getting your new Xbox One, Xbox Series X and PlayStation 5 game and then not having anything to play it on. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, I think you're not going to... Well... Let's hope they take the time to polish these games up rather than Mm. rest on their laurels. Yeah, I think it's not going to be a, a console launch without a Ubisoft game, is it? Um, no. By by no means to the imagination. So I think for... Um, they, I mean, they delayed several games after the uh, Ghost Recon bombed. Uh, so they decided they were going to rest and uh, release the other games later on. Yes. Uh, including Gods and Monsters, I think, and probably the next Assassin's Creed. So I always think delays sometimes are pretty good, especially for a company like Ubisoft uh, and probably poor sales of, of some of the, their games last year have made them reflect and think, well, we maybe not send out glitchy messes and half-finished games. Mm. I don't slate them because I think they're actually a really good company. They've put out some really good stuff over I, the years. I've actually found a renewed sense of appreciation for Ubisoft. I think... I think for the time scale, we were discussing this. Um, I think for the time scale they're given uh, compared to a, a big company like Rockstar or Naughty Dog, I think they do really well within the time constraints they have oh, to release I mean, you know, new titles. Some of their games, you could argue, Unity's a prime example. I mean, yeah. it's, it's a little scrappy, but what they've chucked on the wall. First of all, it looks incredible. Secondly, within reason, the gameplay's kind of there or thereabouts. It's not terrible. Um, they've done better, they've done worse. But, yeah. you know, given a year or two years to turn out a title of such enormity with mm-hmm. with actually, at times, such a granular level of detail uh, and a passion and a level of research for the time and what was going on at the time, I don't know how to do it. No, definitely. Um, yeah, I'm. I am looking forward to seeing what they're going to do with next gen. Uh, there's rumours that that um, the next Watch Dogs is going to be PS5 and Xbox Series X only. Uh, but I don't know whether we'll see that. They do like to do cross. I, I was I was actually thinking of pulling that. I think I've got that either for PS3 or PS4, and I was thinking about pulling that down off the shelf when I get, it might be a little bit too similar, but I was thinking after I'd finished what my current stack of Creed games, which would be, this would be my last one, uh, whether I I should put it in. I tell you one of the best games they've made uh, in recent years is uh, Rainbow Six Siege. Oh. 
I know you're not a fan of the online shooter, but it's very, very tactical. It's very slow paced in a way. It's like five on five. You just have your fight and it can go really quick or it can drag on a little bit. Um, it's it's very, it's a lot more realistic than Call of Duty. And well, I suppose the new Modern Warfare has borrowed a lot of ideas off it. I think they've done a really good job with that as well as supporting it continually with uh, like online packs and uh, things you can download. So yeah, they're good guys. They are. What's the next bit of news? Uh, they they showed. Yeah. <laughs> they showed something. When asked whether the Xbox Series X logo that recently surfaced was legitimate, filed by Microsoft, the company responded, "As we develop new products and services, we periodically uh, file trademarks that may contribute to our future." That said, the trademark filings are not indicative of final imagery. We have nothing further at this time. This seems to confirm that Microsoft did indeed file a new Xbox Series X logo trademark, but it might not be the one we see adorning game cases come the console's launch. Just a little bit of something that snuck out. Obviously, in a black and white X um, yeah. may or may not be, maybe might not be, someone left the homework on the school bus that day. <laughs> uh, who knows at this point? Who knows? It looks quite slick. I quite like it. Um, it's yeah, drip-feeding information for the new-gen consoles, isn't it, at the minute? Yeah, um, I think their iconography has always been quite iconic, to be honest with you. The the logos, the original Xbox logo with the black and the green was very slick. We've always been a fan, you and I, of the 360s, uh, especially its launch more, edition, the, yeah. the refined font and the shape of the console and what they had going on in the early, early years. Um, yeah in a lot of ways a lot sorry i do like the new one i do like the new one i think it's um it's yeah it's just a black box again but it's i don't know it it looks nice Um, what the new xbox one yeah series x sorry yeah yeah it looks um looks decent i think it looks cool. I don't. I Minimalist, mean, yeah. I don't. I'm, I want a little bit more. I'm sure some of our Xbox listeners are screaming down the end of their phone now, or whatever it is they're listening on, saying, "You blimmin' idiot!" But I'd like a little bit more knowledge just to know whether it could be on its side or whether it's always got to be stood up. I um, believe it can be on its side, but don't quote me on that. Ah, uh, right. Okay. If it can be on, it, uh, I mean, it looks coolest in its tower mode. If you ask me, yeah, it yeah, looks yeah, absolutely definitely. rock and roll. I'd have to have a full-on redesign of the home entertainment center to make that fit anywhere polite, um, and show it off. I suppose it'd be nice to have all the wires hidden and it just sort of sat there, but that would mean I've done it for the connect. It mean redesigning my whole <laughs> gaming room, but you know, I'd be willing to because it does look very sexy quite what the ps5 is going to end up looking like god only knows tom we'll have to wait and see if the assembled masses listening in have thought to themselves well they've missed this news or that news or they've got that completely wrong george has absolutely no idea what he's talking about and tom's never played a final (laughs) fantasy game let alone the remake he just watched a playthrough on youtube if these alleged controversies are true how would they get in contact with us and let us know we're complete chuckle brothers (laughs) uh well 
uh, any listeners can contact us uh, direct message on Instagram or Twitter. You can also email us at questions at unofficialcontrollerpodcast.com. And also, as we said before, come in and get involved in our Discord chat. Uh, it's a great group of people on there already. Everyone very like-minded and we talk about loads of different things. So, yeah, please, if you're listening in now and you're in lockdown and you lonely. wanted something to do, lonely, yeah, there's um, there's some great people out there. Uh, so go on to the onto our Instagram page and follow the links to the Discord. Yeah, click the little link in the bio, brings up a link tree. You can email the show from there. You can listen to the show from there. You can do all that good stuff. So, and please check out the rest of our back. Uh, excuse me. Well, put my teeth back in. Hold yourself down for a moment because Tom, we find ourselves stood at the front of the beer moth, which is the feature, the main reason why the t- well, the main the reason we like to think most of them turned up, especially after the death mo- mo- motion. Yeah, mostly come for that. Well, one thing I've got to say about you, you keep now lying down all David Bailey style with a (laughs) multitude of filters on your telephoto lens that you normally use to spy on the neighbour when she's sunbathing, but every now and then you (laughs) turn to focus (laughs) on a game. You take a picture of a game, you stick a fan, you upload it to Instagram, and you even put hashtags you even put hashtag Stingray's boot. Uh, I do. Since you've brought the devilish Phil, the producer, on board. I mean, yes, I'm feeling comfortable in the studio. Yes, the audio quality has gone up and will continue to go up thanks to his backstage editing. He's probably re-edited the whole show to make you sound like a gaming god and to me to sound like someone who plays Angry Birds on his 3G iPhone. That's the main reason we brought him on board. <laughs> Um, it is. James, the work experience boy, the one that we get to write all this because we are now gaming celebrities. That's what we are. We're, we're someone. <laughs> and he writes the script for, it, for the show with my guidance and yours. He sits penning away, doing all that good stuff. Um, one thing to say, as we are gaming celebrities, Saturday, Tom, on the YouTube yes. channel, we're streaming, save the NHS, all that jazz. We're doing it. We're doing a live stream. Um, what do you make of that? It's going to be like going live, if you remember what going live is, or maybe you're more of an SMTV kid. No, I, I, was, uh, li- I was live and kicking. You're a live and kicking and I, guy. Yeah. Okay. And then I think, did, uh, did SMTV have Hollow Willow be on? You were going to say Hollow Willow be what? He's not. He's 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 gone from recording in his aviary to recording in the hounds' kennel this week. Uh, oh, you see, me and Phil are looking at each other. We're not sure. I think Tom's sorry about that. He's sorry having a that. domestic in the in the hounds' kennels this week. Uh, but we were rattling on about uh, one of the luxuries. You should have just let it happen. You know they did. It's okay. Uh, palm. Prime Minister's questions over Zoom. We, you know, now, surely that's suitable for us. So now, now I'm a qualified podcaster. I have a mute button on my headset. Wow! Look at you, proper big boy. 
<laughs> so, we're going to listen back to this and then realise it was actually the show that was muted and the dog was barking. That's everything the, else. That's the only part. Yeah. That's yeah. The only part intro of the music, show. silence for 20 minutes, dog barks, <laughs> silence for another hour and six, and then the music again. Possibly with Stingray's like a- noise, but then nothing else. Sounds like uh, a Yoko Ono idea. Well, you know, <laughs> you and Phil keep taking the show in the direction you want to take it, and before long I'll be slobbed in white paint and crawling across the floor, uh, and that'll be the medium that which we express ourselves through and upload it on a weekly basis. Uh, it's much more. The good guys on Instagram have got together to do the Gamers Unite for NHS, and we're streaming. I must say... Donations have been coming in thick and fast, and no one's even picked up a controller or turned their camera on yet, Tom. So uh, we still need every single penny that you can send, and we're going to encourage, much like children need and comic relief during the stream, for you to do more. And we've chosen, I've chosen, to live stream Minecraft Hardcore Survival. You know, if you don't know what that's game about, I'm going to give you a PhD in how to make Diamond Hammer, bro. I say hammer, that's not even in the game. It's a pickaxe. That's what I know. Anyway, it's to uh, help raise money. It's going to be on our YouTube channel. It's going to be, let me get you the time, because I've already forgotten it. We're on from 10 till 11, prime time, baby. It's going on till 10 o'clock at night with such heavy hits, heavy hitters as Gazlov Games, the man who writes, sings, and sings his own theme too. Uh, gaming Crazy, did someone say Retro the Bro? Uh, Chaz DCFC Morgan Just Games and of course the inaugurators It's Much More we must implore you to go to let me put my teeth in https dot dot forward forward slash uk dot virgin money given dot com forward slash it's much more even if it's a pound maybe even Tom will donate 10p out of his coin tray in his Rolls Royce not looking likely. Uh, he's Booper anyway. So <laughs> I'm fine, mate. Don't worry about me, pal. I've got my own suite already prepared. I've got the Platinum Booper service. They come and collect me in the, in in their own roller, uh, lay me down, put a blanket on me, mop my brow, pump high egg levels. Egg and soldiers. Of egg, and- egg and soldiers for the older listeners. Oh wow! Just for your journey there. They then put you into one of those seats and the orderlies come out like one of those kings of old and you get carried in in a chair. I don't go in in anything with like a wheelchair. I get carried in by the lower menials. And then you're hoisted from there into your chaise lounge, which is surrounded. Your ward, your private ward, has got a selection of Renaissance arts on the wall and freshly picked grapes for you to nibble on. You're all good. In the hood, brother, if you I get am. any sort of illness. I am very well looked after. <laughs> looked after. Anyway, now all that's said and done, here we are. History of Capcom, part two. Tom, you need to lift your mic up. Everyone can hear your rapey breathing. That's it. We're all good again. <laughs> that should send a shiver down everyone's spines <laughs> we've averted that phil literally normally does everything to say good things about you but he was literally turning in his grave at his audio levels of your breathing he's given me the thumbs up we shall proceed uh, the history of capcom part two uh where shall we begin 
I'd like to begin by saying if you're new to the show and want to recap of Capcom's early years, you should check out our Capcom early years episode available in our back catalogue and all good podcast providers, including iTunes, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, TuneIn, Alexa. When we say everywhere, we mean literally everywhere. Okay, so picking up the baton from where we left off. Now, I think this is where we left off, but I I didn't go full egomaniac and listen back. It was, it was. It's the dawn of the Resident Evil franchise, a pseudo-sequel to their NES classic Sweet Home, which Takura Fujiwara told uh, Shinji Mikami to start creating in 1993. As always, Japanese is not our first language, so if we just (laughs) called him the dog walker, we apologise. It was only in 1994 where marketing executives were setting up to release Biohazard in the United States. It became apparent calling the game Biohazard would be very difficult as a DOS game had been registered under that name, as well as a New York hardcore punk band also calling themselves by the name Biohazard. Excellent. On hearing this, uh, a competition was initiated to find a new name for the game's Western release. Among Capcom's staff, this fun idea turned up Resident Evil, the name under which it was released outside of Japan. Resident Evil made its debut on PlayStation in 1996 and was later ported to the Sega Saturn. The first, en- oh, the first entry in the series was the first game to be dubbed a survival horror, a term coined for the new genre it created and a genre that's been with us ever since and has been very popular, not only with fans, but critically and commercially. The original led to two sequels, Resident Evil 2 in 98 and Resident Evil 3 Nemesis in 99. Both for PlayStation, a port of Resident Evil 2 was released for Nintendo 64 uh, in addition, ports of all three were released to Microsoft Windows. Yes, I think uh, Dreamcast also I never picked up that. a copy of uh, two and three. I think you're right. Yeah. Yes, it did. And um, where was I going with that? I had, and I wish I still had it because it's Mega Books now. Resident Evil Two on the N64. Oh, is it? Is that a, a, a very sought after to collector's item? It is. It didn't. I think it was suppose... quite late, and it was. Uh, it yeah. was one of those. It was a mega cartridge to fit that whole game in there. Um, right. It did. Two minds about the graphics. It did get away from some of those sort of wavy textures that the PlayStation One was famous for, if you remember. Um, yeah. But it played exactly the same. Other than that, the original led to two sequels. Uh, no. We've done that. Fourth game in the series, Resident Evil Code Veronica was developed for the Dreamcast and released in 2000, followed by ports of Resident Evil 2 and Resident Evil 3. Resident Evil Code Veronica, uh, it was rehoned mainly with story cutscenes and released on PS2 while originally getting a re-release on Dreamcast in Japan. Um, first, um, first listener, Tom, if you're listening to this and you're thinking, oh, hang on a minute, I want to contribute to the feature, how would they do that? How would they do that? Well, a lot of you come into the comments section on the... So there'll be a post put up at the uh, before a few days before every show we record uh, talking about what's going to be the feature this week. And most of you usually comment in there. Uh, but you can always um, send us a message on uh, Twitter or Instagram or, uh, or email us at questions at unofficialcontrollerpodcast.com or even comment in the Discord chat if you want to have your comment featured. That'd be great. Oh, I didn't check there. Should have checked there. No, I think we were good on there. Uh, I'm like going to take say, this. Uh, I'm going to take this listener because 
this listener, the Chronicles of a Gamer, good old Bobby in the in New York. Before I read his comment out, let me just say, Bobby's world podcast. See, Chronicles of a Gamer inspired by us, art inspiring, art inspiring everything. He does his own show, and let me tell you. I've had some extra time on my hands and I've been doing lots of walking and running and bike riding and I have fallen in love with his show. When he sits and tells a story about his life, be it milkshakes, be it uh, his rather shocking Jew comments that he got sort of tricked into by his uncle as a kid growing <laughs> up, uh, to couples rowing outside of his window, you know, to his love of uh, horror movies with his auntie, the whole thing. I have fallen in love with his show. He's done some with his brother as well and one with his co-worker uh, where they've gone through some games in the past. I think X-Men and uh, Batman. I just implore anyone to check it out. I found it on Spotify. I think it might be on iTunes as well. But what, in fact, it is. It's an- I need to, sorry, can I ask you a question? Yes. As a legit podcaster, unlike me, who is mickey mouse podcaster if i download bobby's show yes at home yes on the wi-fi yes will it will it use my data if i choose then to listen to it in the car no because you can download it, it to your phone and then it will so be it's ready yeah like an mp3 will be downloaded to your phone for you to use whether you've got signal or not uh, that's podcast music to my ears bobby's world podcast oh mate you know I'm a bit selfish here, but the ones of just him on his own talking into the mic, incredible. Anyway, Chronicles of a Gamer is his other pseudonym on IG. And he says, the Resident Evil franchise from 1, 2, 3, Code Veronica 4 was simply amazing. Dungeons and Dragons, Shadows Over Mysteria in 96 is one of the greatest beat-em-ups ever. The Maximo series, which is technically part of the Ghosts and Goblins franchise, really can do no wrong with any Mega Man game that was released in that time frame either. These are the games that really stand out to me. I'm glad you mentioned those because I skipped straight past Maximo uh, when I commanded James to write this script. script. And I also missed out uh, the Mega Man games, but we kind of touched on them in the early part of the show, so I didn't want to dwell on those too much. Back to the main story, though, Tom. Resident Evil 4 saw players take on the role of Leon S. Kennedy again, who has been ordered to rescue the daughter of President of the United States from a cult in the rural backwaters of Europe. The game saw numerous changes during its long development. The team created and binned four prototypes before settling on the final product. Among these was a version directed by Hideki Kamiya that would be turned into the first Devil May Cry game, which we'll get to. The final version would be very different compared to the previous Resident Evil games with an over-the-shoulder perspective and increased emphasis on action and combat compared to the previous entries in the franchise. Resident Evil 4 was the only game of the five Capcom 5, which I think we mentioned in the GameCube episode, we did, yeah. to remain confirmed as a GameCube release. Mikami cited that he would cut his own head off if it were to be released <laughs> on another platform Uh, However, just two months before the game's (laughs) January 2005 release, Capcom revealed that a PlayStation 2 port would be published nine months after the GameCube version in response to pressure from users and shareholders. Seemingly, though, Tom Shimji's head, luckily for us, has remained attached (laughs) to his body. 
The surprise announcement hurt the GameCube sales, which totaled 1.6 million, compared to the sales of the PlayStation 2 version, which exceeded 2 million. Shinji Mikami apologized to GameCube fans for failing to uphold his promise of console exclusivity. Not only did it sell well, it went on to sweep many Game of the Year awards for 2005. It's consistently listed amongst the greatest games of all time. I think, Tom, back in the era of you being in the games industry, you even gave it the shiny gold potato award of your own that you developed when you tried to launch your own award series <laughs> in the early thousands. Um, I'm sure Shinji Mikami's got the polished gold potato on his shelf next to his BAFTA. I would say so. Um, I, I, I do wonder whether they knew how successful it was going to be when he made that promise. Obviously, it was m- so well received and the GameCube hadn't really sold anywhere, well, nowhere near as many numbers as the PlayStation. So they thought, well, we'll better stick it on there as well to a broader audience. And I suppose with d- in doing that, it broadened the appeal of the game as well and probably won it a lot more fans. It does deserve its credit, especially back then. Uh, like you said to me before, it's probably not aged quite as well as we'd hoped. And there are rumours of a remake of that in development at um, Capcom. Before the remake that, I would love a remake of Code Veronica, a game that's been forgotten about and languished on the PS2. I think if it was given a little bit more love shined up, it's a Dreamcast game. Um, Capcom used to support you know it's nice when they step up and support your console but it's also a little bit of a death knell as well isn't it like we're going to get behind the cube dead we're going to get behind the Dreamcast dead (laughs) (laughs) Capcom I've got Capcom on the phone tell them we're busy they they wouldn't make very good captains of ships would they they'd just be like nah that one's floating over there let's swim to that one exactly I don't quite know what their ideas are. And getting behind the GameCube with five games, exclusives, uh, and then slowly shrinking back down the hole they crawled out of is uh, probably indicative of, let's face it, as much as we like to think that games are artistry, uh, they're just money-spinning pieces of plastic that spin around and a money-spinning <laughs> piece of plastic, aren't they? So there we go. Brutal. What's next? Moving on, and, moving on to another bit of... Uh... Shiny plastic spinning around in his disc tray. Dino Crisis. <laughs> it was until it all went wrong in a car crash in my mouth. Dino <laughs> Crisis, another Shinji Mikami idea, a pseudo-sequel, if you will, to the Mikami's popular Resident Evil series. Mikami and his team wanted something more real. If dinosaurs in modern settings is deemed to be more real, we'll let you have that one, Shinji. It cites the Lost World, Jurassic Park, and Aliens as influences and like dinosaurs because they were large, strong, fearsome, and violent. The game was developed and marketed as a new genre, panic horror, as opposed to survival horror of its Resident Evil stablemates. Mikami described Resident Evil as horror in the funhouse and Dino Crisis as a more visceral horror akin to riding a roller coaster. Ah, It was made to have a more consistent fright with the dinosaurs being more intelligent, quick and able to chase the player from area to area. Dino Crisis utilizes an original 3D engine with real-time environments as opposed to pre-rendered backgrounds in the Resident Evil series. Mikami chose... We keep putting each other... Because we're not in person. We don't get the subtle visual clues where one of us is going to start wobbling on and then the other's not going to wobble on. Maybe maybe Phil, the producer, is going to... After you, sir. 
Okay. All right. Where do we get to? Mikami chose a real-time engine to enable better cinematic action and more dramatic character depictions that would otherwise be impossible. However, with the real-time engine came the challenge of hardware limitations, making it difficult for the team to create detailed environments. Since they had no idea of how dinosaurs moved in real life, the team had to use their imagination and draw inspiration from living animals such as crocodiles and dogs. One would think they could have just slapped on a Japanese dub of uh, Jurassic Park, but there you go. They also based the dinosaur artificial intelligence on lions, tigers, and other carnivores that were not afraid of humans. Mikami's visions for the dinosaurs was not completely fulfilled. He wanted to include more complex dinosaur AI, with dinosaurs each having individual personalities that could understand the player's condition and ambush them. This wasn't seen as too successful in Shinji's eyes, and compromises had to be made. Though with little extra time during porting in the West to the West, the number of dinosaurs were increased from the Japanese version, although the number of species remained the same. Dino Crisis was released in Japan in July 1999, two months before Resident Evil 3 Nemesis. It saw ports to the Sega Dreamcast console and Microsoft Windows platform in 2000, along with sequels on the original PlayStation 2 and Xbox. After the completion of Resident Evil 2 in 98, work began on a PlayStation 2 installment of the Resident Evil series, began by Team Little Devil under the direction of Hideo Kamiya. As part of early research, the, term, the team took a trip to uh, Spain to examine castles as a basis for the new game Devil May Cry's environment. Its prototype, however, was a radical departure from the Resident Evil formula and the survival horror genre. Capcom rewrote the story and changed its premise, drawing inspiration from Dante Alighieri's Divine Comedy for Devil May Cry. Despite the success of the Devil May Cry series, uh, despite the success of Devil May Cry, its sequel was not created by Camille. After every time. This is like a staple of mine now. I slip over the Japanese names. Kamiyar, although an unidentified director was placed in charge of the project, Capcom dissatisfied with their work and assigned Hidekia Itsuno, uh, and with only four to five months remaining in development to steer the project back on course. Despite Itsuno's limited time on the project, he's the only person credited as director of the game. Devil May Cry, Tom. I've... Uh, keep starting that on a playthrough i missed it didn't have a ps2 at launch but picked one up in the years and uh i i don't know why but i'm very in love with the original devil may cry i'm still yet to finish it and it keeps going back on my pile of shame um it's one of those older games that's particularly hard to deal with these days much like a game we're gonna get to but you know is it on uh, Devil May Cry and Omanusha and Resident Evil? They've got those when you move from one screen to the next. The original Resident Evil, your whole perspective flips around, and Devil May Cry had sections that did the same. And that hardware limitation has not aged well to the more modern gamer. It's a bit brutalistic. Yeah, I mean, I'm curious to see how. Um Devil May Cry 1 looks now, especially having played uh, 5 uh, last year, which looks phenomenal, uh, using the, I think it's the RE engine that they use for Resident Evil 2 Remake. Uh, yeah, I think when it came out, I loved it. I remember showing it to you, and you kind of didn't really know what to make of it. You had a Dreamcast at the time, and while graphically it was probably on par with the Dreamcast, 
it certainly had some some fresh ideas and the combat really helped. Um, I was like I say, push, I've always been intrigued by the setting. I think the characters yeah. probably haven't aged, you know, no, when it starts bit... off, you're in the Devil May Cry bar and this woman mm. jumps through the window on a motorbike and the guy, the voice acting, oh God, mate, you know, you're watching through yeah. your fingers. It's pretty terrible. Um, but the setting, the fact they went to Spain to research it certainly pays off in the in the look of the castle in the game that's got yeah we often oh it, it was a character in itself that's the most cliched saying on gaming <laughs> podcasts these days but that castle uh, was a character in itself and the, and the design of it that first sort of room you go into that kind of teaches you how to jump uh so you collect all the red orbs before you can go through the door was very subtly done i thought playing it you know in the last 12 months, I thought, wow, do you know what? There's a bit of game design. That was pretty clever. Without saying press X to jump and circle to hit, it was very subtly done. And I, it's, it might just be I'm rubbish at games, but I did think it was hard as nails. Um, and, and I'm barely scratching the surface. So yeah, there you go. I know you finished it back in the day, didn't you? With other cousins. Yeah, I did. Um, yeah. We spent endless time on Mundus, the final boss for their game, who has several boss phases, and it was just like, is this guy going to die? No, he's back for another phase. Uh, but it's great, again. great, great fun was that on that, uh, certainly. I've never sort of gone, I've played one, two, four, and five. I don't know why I've never played three. I maybe didn't have the PS2 at that time, but apparently it's one of the better ones. Uh, oh, wow. Well, on the subject of Devil May Cry, we've had another listener comment, and it's C. Pliskin. He's chimed in again. Finally, it's been he, a long time coming. He, next time, he yeah. writes in such... C. Pliskin, if work, James the Work Experience Boy ever goes off ill, get yeah. C. Pliskin on the blower. I will do. Okay. His fee might be too much, but we'll see what we can do. <laughs> Finally... <laughs> Finally, it's been a long time coming since the last retrospective. During that period, I was in the middle of playing Devil May Cry 3 for my Nintendo Switch. That's that's, that's good. And while I did try it out, thanks to a pre-owned copy of it for the PS2, I was able to finish the normal mode for the game because of its portability. Uh, You know, the Switch. Why don't you get it for the Switch then? I should really. As soon as you played it. Yeah. Something to... Another one for the list. I didn't really like it when it uh, when I first tried it out. He says, this was, I believe, before I played God of War 1 and 2. I think it went into playing it with just a bit too much confidence. It's a hard mm. game, no doubt, but it requires memorization more than anything to understand the enemy types, and they're actually predictable, but still damaging attacks. I do you find it odd that some new players may watch the intro cutscene in Dante's office and think the, uh, the enemies will be a pushover? But um, I still think it's worthwhile, a worthwhile time. There was also Street Fighter Alpha 3, another Capcom game he mentions. Uh, I also like that one, but I've got, I've got an ev- Sorry, I haven't gotten any versus rounds with friends or family uh, yet. And also M. Bison is one cheap final boss. Well, that's his story, is. isn't it? Uh, yeah. Going back to the uh, thank you, C. Pliskin. Going back to the tale of Capcom, uh, and this is the ninety-five to two thousand and five era 
which was very prolific for games. It's been hard to pick. Been a little bit self-indulgent mm. with one of the picks, but there you go. According to producer Toyosho Tanaki, the design aim was to make Devil May Cry 2 bigger than its predecessor. Tanaka estimated that the game's environments were about nine times larger than the first. After Devil May Cry 2's mixed reception, Capcom decided to try the next game, um, like the most critically, make the game more like the critically successful Devil May Cry. Uh, gameplay elements such as the environment and size and battle engine were reconsidered in the original game. Here for a thousand for a four uh, spoilers here for a four thousand year old game. Virgil was killed by demons and his soul was controlled by Mundus. <laughs> Bingo! This is a good name from Japanese guy. Bingo Morihashi, uh, probably born and named just so I could speak him one day on a podcast. Wanted to create an alternate universe in which Virgil was alive. However, Kamiya give uh, gave morihashi the freedom to rework virgil's backstory and make him a living teenager for devil may cry 3 moving on tom now this is a game that always intrigued me Uh, another pseudo sequel believe it or not to resident evil they were certainly uh spinning off that genre after resident evil 1 straight biohazard must have surprised them the living daylight you know that that schlocky zombie game that we came out with like yeah (laughs) It's, it's only gone and sold more games than we can possibly imagine. Make loads of versions of it. Medieval, sword version, whatever. Another pseudo-sequel, right? yeah, to Resident Evil, Ominusia seems to be uh, a lot of these the studio was making, as we sort of alluded to. Uh, the series originated in 97, with Yoshiki Okamoto's idea to create a Senguko biohazard, a ninja version of Capcom's own 1996 Resident Evil, set in the Songoku period and featuring a ninja house filled with booby traps similar to the mansion from Resident Evil, where battles would be fought using short swords and shuriken. The house will contain hidden doors behind walls, ceilings that fall down to you, scrolls and ninja magic and many other ninja techniques. The project, now pin your ears back for this, was originally intended for Nintendo 64's 64DD, the disk drive add-on, and then moved to the original PlayStation. But the project then eventually moved to the PlayStation 2. The half-finished original PlayStation version of Omanusha was scrapped and never released. Wow. In early 1999, Yoshiki... Akamoto of Capcom proposed remaking the original Legend of Zelda for the Game Boy Color to Shigeru Miyamoto, the game designer of Nintendo who created the series. Akamoto was asked to develop six Zelda games for the Game Boy Color, two based on earlier installments and four original entries. Contrary to Miyamoto's desire mentality of creating the gameplay system first, development started out with the scenario writing the game's stories, which Flagship was in charge of. The development team wanted to skip the remake and create an original Zelda game right away, as the original game was deemed too difficult. Due to this, the team ran into problems because the scenario and the maps had to be reworked constantly to make all the modifications match. The Game Boy Color screen presented on additional hurdle when attempting to rework the earlier Zelda game, as it is now narrower than that of the television. Players could not view an entire room without scrolling, which made it easy to overlook stairways or clues on walls. Dismayed by the seeming lack of progress, Okamoto asked Miyamoto for help, who proposed a trilogy of games, each with a different focus on gameplay elements. The trilogy was worked into the Triforce series. The Triforce is composed of three parts, the Triforces of Power, Wisdom and Courage. 
Each game in the trilogy was to be associated with the piece of Triforce, with one game being the conversion of the original Legend of Zelda. But the games became Mystical Seed of Power, Mystical Seed of Wisdom, and Mystical Seed of Courage. The games interacted with each other. Players could begin with any of the three games and have the actions of the first game affect the story of the other two, a concept conceived by Okamoto. The developers even considered using a mobile phone adapted to transfer data, but decided on a more familiar password system. Condensing the game into a single cartridge was never considered, as the prospect of multiple endings and the added replay value afforded by the ability to play the games in either order was appealing to the developers at Capcom and Nintendo. What do you make of all that? Or, Did you have any of those? Um, yes. I was, yeah. As I was writing I had, this, I remembered that uh, I had Oracle of Ages. I'm yeah. sure I did. Uh, and, and this reminded me of a time when my only gaming was taking place due to travel restrictions, not the sort of travel restrictions we have today, but because I was away. <laughs> uh, yeah. Most of my gaming was happening on a, on a scrappy Game Boy Color, would you believe? And then on really? then on a Game Boy Advance, and I had these games. And I, do you know what? I, I quite enjoyed them. Um, and I think they're really good. Yeah, they're well. Saying that I've only played one, but it wasn't quite the Zelda I wanted. But it yeah, probably was the Zelda I deserved. <laughs> <laughs> I think you can tell they're made by different. Well, alongside another company, when you compare them to the core entries. That's, I uh, think, but, probably what stuck out to me the most. I mean, the yeah. Capcom logo at the beginning obviously gives it away, but, you know, yeah, it, it, something about them didn't feel quite right. It's almost like if Stingray decided to go off and make a Zelda game, <laughs> I mean, it'd be a bloody good effort for Stingray, but, uh, you know, that's probably what we would get. Um, mm. But like I say, they're, they're not offensive anyway. Um they are what they are. Well, very the interesting the for Nintendo to give out their IP like that, though. Um, yeah, I suppose it's it won't like I'm giving it out to an indie like they have done recently. But imagine I mean, if Capcom had knocked on the door and said, "I want to make a Mario game." <laughs> yeah, I see your point. Well, I think it's it? quite a bold move, isn't it? Yeah. Well. Oracle of Seasons was adapted from Mystical Seed of Power, and Oracle of Ages was adapted from Mystical Seed of Wisdom, and Mystical Seed of Courage was cancelled. These sweeping design changes pushed the release into the release window of Nintendo's looming Game Boy Advance. The team considered adding special functionality to the game, triggered only when played on a GBA, but was afraid that the additional development time required for for the addition would cause the games to be released after the Game Boy Advance. Quick listener comment to intersperse proceedings, Tom. He's bronzed. I know he's been putting some... Uh, I saw a, a roast chicken, uh, which looked like a face hugger from Aliens until it was cooked. But when it was cooked, it looked absolutely divine. Uh, it cleaved it clean in half, slipped a lemon up its backside and barbecued that sucker. So everyone's turning into Gordon <laughs> Ramsay. It's uh, everyone's favourite bronze-toned Athletic hero, living it up, Dubai Jim. 
Uh, what's he got to say? Shall I read him out? Shall I method act him? I've already assumed most of his uh, weekly activities with his chicken and his... It's okay. You want to do okay. it? You're, I this, no, yeah. I am the method act around here. I shall take this role. He says, a lot of Capcom's output in this era passed me by. So I transitioned from home to uni, to home, to first job, to buy my first flat. Game buying in this decade shrunk significantly, but two Capcom gems did hold my attention. Zelda Minish Cap, which, uh, like Link's Awakening, did something different and interesting with the Zelda franchise, and the blazing star that was Power Stone on the Dreamcast. Multi-leveled, smashable environments with 3D movement. Charge moves and fighting ticked a box that Street Fighter's multiple tweaks on Street Fighter 2 failed to. A long missed gem that ought to be at least remastered and re-released on the Switch or the PS4. Not Good before point. Street Fighter the movie. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, thank you for that, Dubai Jim. And back to the uh, back to the story of the GBA Zelda. Uh, when the release date of the GBA was postponed, the team was able to incorporate GBA functionality and release the games approximately a month before the GBA was released. Instead of releasing the game over a period of months or years they moved to releasing the games simultaneously. This made it easy for the team to test the interaction between the games and keep the style consistent. Now, Tom, up next, one of my favourites, but before we do, because I'm a man of honesty and integrity, I owe the audience an apology. I thought Shadow of Rome and Firefighter FDNY18 were both Capcom games. Shadow of Rome is. Firefighter FDNY18 is a Konami game. Oh, but in my head, I don't know. Well, when I pulled them down to do the research and all that other jazz, it was at that moment where I thought a cold shudder of dread passed over me, and I was like, "Why?" I'm confused. I thought these were both from the same, but they're not. So, apologies for that. And I'm sure when we do the Konami retrospective, I'll be equally as self-indulgent and do a (laughs) section on Firefighter FD18, which is its proper name. I keep slipping NY in there. Don't know why. Shadow of Rome, shown on January 28th, 2004, when Capcom announced the plot would revolve around the assassination assassination of Roman Emperor Julius Caesar, based on an enhanced version of the Armenia 3 game engine developed by the same team under the guidance of executive producer Kenji Infueni. The game was going to be released as a PS2 exclusive. Capcom explained it would have two parallel stories and two different styles of gameplay, action and stealth. Early in its development, the game featured a branching, semi-branching storyline where both the player excelled at the stealth sections. <laughs> There'll be more levels based around <laughs> stealth, whereas if they were good at combat, more combat levels would feature, uh, which we wished that... Um, well, I'm glad, Tom, I've got to say, that that didn't end up happening because <laughs> I am terrible at those stealth sections really terrible i know it's stealth light but at the end of the day as that blonde haired mong if you fall over or don't get in a jar quick enough it's game over brother uh <laughs> early in its development the game uh capcom explained the game was specifically designed for the north american european markets and although release dates for both markets had been set they were unsure if the game would get a release in japan and it was as it was not geared towards a japanese player the game needed uh the game did end up being a lot more linear in its progression and launched in February 2005. Uh, that's one that missed. That, uh, that, 
I must you have skipped had over. Game. Oh, is this another game that I supposedly had? Well, you know, episode 50, those that have stuck with us from episode one will know there's many games you've forgotten that you had. I remember that in this era, I would often call you before the era of podcasts and we would speak for hours about games. And I specifically remember where I was sat when you were telling me about your experience of Shadow of Rome. <laughs> I, I okay. called up a bollard ship, mate, and I was sat uh, on the on a on a quarter deck of uh, a grey puss's war canoe, and me and you were spinning a marvelous yarn about all the different games that we wanted, and we were talking about Shadow of Rome. And I'm sure you were saying to me, oh, I'm not too keen on the stealth bits. And I was like, oh, not too keen. Like, I can't even get past these bits. And uh, as it's a game I replayed maybe three months ago. And I, I'm i sorry to those listening that say, well, oh, you, you, you should just try and work out what you need to do. How's anyone ever going to work out that you need to pick up a rat <laughs> and throw it at a maid? Like, no. So I was absolutely stuck hard on that game. The combat sections were just absolutely awesome. Not the battle bits, but when you finally got in the, not the main Colosseum, but the arenas. Because um, I yeah. persevered with it recently. I took it to the lodge, didn't I? If you remember. And I had a, yes. good, I had a good belt on it and probably got 60% of the way through it. And I need to go back to it. Although I think muscle wow. memory will have faded and I'll have got absolutely owned if I do go back to it. But good game. Yeah, hidden gem. I think they they do make a good action game, don't they? They don't make a great stealth game, though. Mate, I, I yeah, the stealth section in that game. I mean, the character's not unlikable, but you end up hating <laughs> him because of how much you get caught all the time. Yeah, we're not fans of the stealth. Well, we like that. I like Metal Gear, but. It, I don't mind the one. early. I don't mind. I I don't mind Metal Gear, and I've been playing the hell out of Assassin's Creed. But I like the option to be able to switch it up if you need to. Metal yeah. Gear gives you the yeah. option to switch it up if you need to. Assassin's Creed definitely gives you the option to switch up to some more stabby gameplay if you get caught, unless it's linked to you not getting caught. I uh, really hope the up and coming Ghost of Tsushima has that idea of you can be both. It's just, you know, in these games, normally, apart from Shadow of Rome, when you're doing the stealth section, when when the character in these games, Metal Gear, you're a badass soldier, you know, special ops. You're a cloned super soldier. In Assassin's Creed, you're a trained assassin in all forms of fighting. It makes sense that you can switch it up. If you get caught behind a lamppost by a guard on a routine <laughs> patrol and it's like, oh, I give up. You know, what sort of super soldier assassin are you? You're terrible. Surely you stab yeah. him in the gut, hide the body, move on with your life and let things die yeah. down, calm down. Yeah. Let the guards forget they ever even saw you because <laughs> you've gone back behind the lamppost. Like, what was that? Don't worry about it. I think I saw something. Yeah. No, I didn't. And then they go back about their patrol. Normally, completely... <laughs> ignoring the fact that their best mate's dead on the floor. It's a rough day as a soldier in a stealth game, isn't it? You've got no feelings for your workmates at all. None. 
dead on the floor, can't even see him, don't even know who you are. And yet, someone's sneaking into your secret facility and you saw them, but if they hide in a bush, forget about it, Brian. Go back to walking around in the same <laughs> routine we were walking around in. Gotta love a stealth game. Yeah, you have. Well, moving on. Last up, as part of an initiative to develop and support the PS2's add-on network features, Auto Modelista, the other games were Monster Hunter and Resident Evil Outbreak. Capcom's plan was that at least one of the games would become a million seller, but both Monster Hunter and Resident Evil Outbreak eventually became million sellers. Let's send ourselves to the bridge with Monster Hunter as we bring this part two to a close again. There are so many games we'll have missed here, but there are so many more, such as Killer7, Power Stone, Beautiful, Beautiful Joe, more Mega Man, and a raft of Street Fighter iterations. Before we go on, let's just pause on Auto Model Easter, probably still, because of the art style they chose, one of the best-looking car racing games ever. I can't say I've, I haven't played that for definite. Cell shaded. No, I know you haven't, but you've seen it in action, haven't you? On yeah. those consoles yeah. and things. And, I uh, have. Yes, it's a game I need to pick up because it's always intrigued me. But that art style, you know, that cell shading, it just you know, there's a, a series of manga books of like street races called Type D, um, and it just looks like it's one of those um, graphic novels come to life. Absolutely incredible. Really cool. Very nice. Based well, on your uh, based on your maths, the next listener is going to be comment of the week next month. It's uh, a new listener. Uh, m- Let me hang on a minute. New prepare the butcher's listener. block. <laughs> Manusariu, Manusariu, Mansario. Let us know. No doubt you won't through the medium of Instagram that we've made a complete desecration of your name. Your comment is Mega Man X heart emoji. Uh, possibly the second most eloquent one we ever had after Gaslove Games and AJG's discussion of the BFG. So Tom's making <laughs> notes now about awarding them <laughs> the prize. See Pliskin writes War and Peace. Odders tells an amazing story. Uh, who else is someone we haven't heard from for a while? Roast Space Monk uses us as a confessional uh, to let us know that one day he murdered his mum's poodle and then hid the body uh, and ended up getting a Mega Drive out of the back of it or some other strange type confessional story from him. Um, yeah, we implore a little bit more interaction, but there you go. Monster Hunter is deemed to be an action role-playing game. And originally released for the PS2, Monster Hunter was released in North America on September 21, 2004. It was remade and expanded in Monster Hunter G, which was released in Japan and was brought to North America and Europe as Monster Hunter Freedom for the PlayStation Portable. Much of the game can be played offline through single-player. The majority of the content is in the online section of the game. Only some monsters are found in single-player, and the players' rewards are smaller when they're offline. The goal for the players online is not to defeat the most monsters, but to reach the highest hunter rank, which is the storyline that is carried out online by non-player characters. Capcom also felt the game was intended for such cooperative play so that players of any skill level working with others could feel accomplished in taking down, at times, behemoth-like creatures. 
Monson to prove to success, selling over 1 million copies, principally in Japan. The series took off explosively in Japan with Monster Hunter Freedom on the PSP. While Monster Hunter had been successful in Japan, its popularity in Western markets, primarily here in the States, languished until the release of Monster Hunter World on today's modern systems. Um, I enjoyed Monster Hunter World. I've got it on the PSP, a single player. It's a, it's a bit bare bones. Um, but another successful feather in the cap Capcom's prolific portfolio, Tom. Certainly, yeah. Um, I think and the epic they, probably we can draw to a close. I'm thinking with part three, which could take us up to the modern era. What do you think? Yeah, definitely. I think so. I think that'd be great. Three uh, part pre- for the history of they're, Capcom. They're, they're seeing a bit of a comeback, aren't they? Old Capcom as well. The past couple of years. Yeah, it's been a big resurgence for them, I feel. They've finally yeah. managed. I think everything fell into place. Now, correct me if I'm wrong, but it feels like everything fell into place. Resident Evil 7 came out. Um, yeah, followed by Monster Hunter World. Yeah, and it, they haven't put a foot wrong since, really. Resident Evil 2 remake and yeah. the third one. Um, yeah, they're doing good stuff, I think. I hope they continue to keep it up. Devil May Cry 5. Yeah, brilliant. exactly. Real hit after hit. So, uh, yeah, I think part three is going to be good. Going to be Does this good mean that when they there. finally start releasing games for the PS5, they'll be Pony? Uh, or do you think Law of got... Averages. Law of Averages, maybe. Yeah, or have they managed to now finally capture the lightning in the bottle that made them... Your mic slipped again, so you've got all rapey. I'm there sorry. we go. Phil, the producer, was just throat chopping me like, no, edit. I, I don't even know if I can edit that. So yeah. I'm going to leave it in. Uh, <laughs> sending us to the bridge, That's... the last. What are you going to tell me? That's what you brought Phil on board for, and now I've got him in my pocket, and he's making me sound good, and you sound terrible. That's a better story than I was going to come up with, so let's skip to Fence the Gamer. Okay. <laughs> Fence the Gamer, uh, final comment. No Capcom stories survival. here, by the way. We're in the realism era. We are. Capcom survival horrors are the story of my youth. To this day, the Resident Evil and Dino Crisis franchise are some of my all-time favourite games. I was obsessed with the original Resi trilogy. I'm so happy that they have all been remastered recently, meaning that I can play and continue with my love of the games without it feeling outdated and stale. That's a good point he puts across there, really. Always. Like, sometimes we have these favourite series and we try and revisit them and they just don't stand up to the test of time but like remakes and remasters are not always a bad thing and I think if you look at the two Resident Evil remakes Final Fantasy 7 remake so on so forth they, they're they doing really good things and like another overused phrase but or analogy is that when we play these remakes, that's how we envisage them in our head when we're playing them as, like, like I don't know, in the late 90s. That's true. When we actually. looked at, when we remember them now, it's not until we actually go back and look at them, we're like, oh, my God, that did not look like that in my head. But no. the remakes, they look like it was in your head. On that note, I've, I don't know why. You know, I get these strange call-ins every now and then. I, I've had this strange call-in to pull down PS1, the original uh, Formula One game. Um, right. I remember playing that at the uh, 
at the big house uh, when we were growing up. Yeah. And I had a TV upstairs uh, there and a PlayStation one. And I had a copy of this formula one. It must've been in 96 early in the form in the PlayStation's ecosystem. And I remember looking at that on a CRT doing that classic thing of like, do you know what that they had the timings on tag her timings and thinking that's damn, that's damn near photorealistic. They can't really get any better than that. And I've been thinking, I'm going to pull that down off the shelf because Bizarre Creations made it, the people who made our beloved MSR and PGR and all that. So the, I thought maybe the driving will be there. Before I do that, I'll have a quick look on YouTube, <laughs> see how it looks. And the first video I put up, I was like, oh, that can't be it. So I did another search. <laughs> like, no, is that it? Pulled the game down, slapped it in, like, yeah, that's it. Yeah, it's, oh, my God. It's terrible. I mean, pretty good. For, definitely amazing for the time. But it's amazing how the mind plays tricks on us. It is. Certainly. Is that, well, is that you? Is that, have you, have you all Capcommed out? I am. And you're not going to, some nice I facts in there. Oh, good. Okay. Well, James will be getting, uh, in fact, I did actually end up listening to an older episode the other day. I can't remember. I think it was one of the state of plays where you confessed to using James's head as an ashtray. <laughs> which no kinda, doubt. Which kind of stuck with me as uh, th- that's some lore. So no doubt he's, uh, maybe you'll get him some Blistex with such a good script that he can uh, I th- I rub will. that into the sores on his head from your uh, cafe cremes in your cigarette holder. Uh, those that paid attention at the top of the show Tom know it's time for the immortal Stingray he's now in the realism era studio era he now knows that uh, he's more he's more real now than he's ever been this old Stingray what do you think a man like Stingray's been up to this week well this week he's that guy though isn't he when we all go out clapping for the NHS and being in being good people, he goes out there with some pots and pans and an air raid siren. No, no, and, mate. And, no. Wa- and, and wakes sleeping babies up. No, I tell you what Stingray does. He drives <laughs> up and down the street playing like a Karacha <laughs> on the air horns of his Nissan Bluebird. <laughs> That's what he does. Yeah, Surely. he's that guy. He is that guy. That's... If we had more money for sound effects, then maybe we weren't paying your mate Phil to make us sound like podcasting experts, we could afford to get a Lakaku Karacha air horn sound effect to signify his arrival. Maybe season two, that might be the new Stingray sound. We'll see what we can do. Uh, but I think so. That'd be good. Seeing as we're in the transitional period, um, there he is. Storming up the drive, smoke clouds as always. Those stones hitting those mud flaps, Tom, in exactly the same way he <laughs> does every week. That is precision driving, like only Stingray can do. It's time for a peek in what we affectionately call Stingray's boot. What's nestled between some counterfeit nappies and a dodgy copy of Battle for Endor this week? These are the new release highlights for April 20th to April 26th, 2020. Listeners, these are out on digital or physical or will be by the time this podcast's in your feed, but could be region dependent. If you're sat at home and you've joined us bizarrely for Capcom Part 2, you never tuned in before, 
You better go dig back through those old episodes to find out what Stingray's backstory is. It's mentioned every now and then. He's a real person. So you better do the digging. If you want to know, that's how you find out about the show. I made that rhyme just for you. <laughs> First up on the new releases, Wait, we've got Todd. Have you What's picked up? a mummy mummy? Yes. Do you have a VHS to wield out? Yeah. Yes. Oh, crikey. I'm a bit nervous because I put myself on the spot and I, uh, oh, yeah, I know. One I've been watching in bed at a night time, inspired by the mighty Chronicles of a Gamer. Uh, I decided to rewatch this particular gem and I've also been looking at the toys on eBay. <laughs> Bobby, okay. hit me up on the DM if you've got any spare. What's first, Tom? What's your first pick? Tidal Shock on PC, April 20th. An underwater arena shooter with shocking twists set in, set in an open aquarium. Eight players battle in a classic respawn arena to capture the reactor and boil the competition. Fascinating. Uh, I'm picking... No, I'm not. The Shattering PC, April 21st. The Shattering is a first-person story-driven... This does look good, to be fair. Psychological thriller. It's defining features of dynamic environments. Beautiful aesthetic. That's what stood out to me. I think it was like a, a, a beautiful white. An intriguing story. The gameplay is meant to submerge you in the mind of John as you take each step forward into the twisted mystery of what happened. PC April 21st. There you go. Mm. Is that the one where it's all white and like the outline is red of your character? Might be thinking of a different game. You're thinking of a different game, but it, it has got that sort of aesthetic to it from when I was okay. uh, doing the research to pick my mummy mummy. I don't just pick the coolest name like you do. <laughs> Sound self, a tech no technodelic PC PC VR. April twenty second. An exhilarating journey into altered state of consciousness, powered by your own voice, explore a hypnotic world of light, colour and sound. Emergent music harmonises with you as you navigate through strobing tunnels of light, impossible shapes and deep into a meditative, meditative strand, trance. Tripped over that one. Wow. I mean, that sounds like uh, <laughs> falling asleep with your uh, iTunes on random and waking up to goodness knows what. Next, this is my mummy mummy, if you don't mind. Deliver us mm. the moon, PS4, Xbox One, April 24th. Deliver us the moon. I wish this was VR, but it's not. Deliver us the moon is a sci-fi thriller set in an apocalyptic near future where Earth's natural resources are depleted. A lone astronaut is sent to the moon on a critical mission to save humanity from extinction. That mm. looks like an absolutely belting game. Yeah, I have seen that. It looks real good. Shall I take Sorry. the next one? Because I'm guessing your mummy mummy is the one after that. Yeah, yeah. If you okay. Could. Naruto Shippuden, Ultimate Ninja Storm 4, Road to Baruto. Coming out on Tom's favourite console, the Switch, April 24th. The latest game in the Ultimate Ninja Storm series is finally here for Nintendo Switch. It features all the DLC, including the latest Next Generation's DLC update pack, relive the fourth great ninja war that unfolded in Naruto Shippenden and experience the story of Boruto. Naruto the movie featuring Naruto's son, Boruto Izumaki, suddenly I can say Japanese, plus choose from 124 ninja, the most in the series, join in action-packed battles whenever and wherever 
you want? Uh, well, here's my mum and my pick. Predator Hunting Grounds, available on the PS4, April 24th. Hunt or be hunted in this asymmetrical multiplayer shooter that pits you against the Predator as part of a fire team. Complete missions before the Predator finds you or be the Predator and hunt your prey. Mm. Get to the chopper. Complete challenging missions as part of the four-person fire team and escape. Wield human and alien weaponry. Fight with a state-of-the-art arsenal as the fire team and deadly tech like the shoulder-mounted plasma caster, combi stick and more as the Predator. Right, okay. Mm. Oh, pretty good. Um, before we do the last two, both of these also look very awesome. Um, what's your VHS? I'm going to go with Indiana Jones and the Last Crusade. Oh, mate. Very hated. I had actually, that on Pirate really for the good. longest time. Possibly originating well, yeah, from it, it, the yeah, actual real Stingray's yeah. boot. Yeah, it did. That's where it came from. And that's why it became one of my favourites. Me and other cousin used to watch it and then just like run around the garden with like, I did. a bit of rope. <laughs> trying to like lasso trees and stuff. Yeah. I watched the wheels off that rather dodgy copy as well. It was really bad. Really I bad. I still do that I still do that thing with the brolly that his dad does, Sean Connery. Oh, what, scaring the, the birds. birds into the plane yeah. spoiled us for a six yeah. million year old film. <laughs> T Rexes watched that on Pirates from Stingray. I think I don't know why. It's just one I, I, I like the story of um, like the Holy Grail and stuff. So I think it's it's quite good. And it uses that real life location for the Syrian of that Syrian carved. Uh, I think it's in Syria. Yeah, the carved the, uh, temple. Um, yes, it's nothing like that inside in reality. But uh, obviously they make us believe that it it is <laughs> yeah a... well, it helps it helps add the realism doesn't it uh, what's your video pick this week batman 1989 starring michael keaton the tim burton movie uh, ah, it's very toys very dear to bobby's heart and i have to admit on a rewatch it's got it's got a certain charm to it i think i still will always be a fan of batman returns it's just that little bit darker uh, the storyline and other bits. I had that on VHS as well, which proper bought copy this time, mate. Don't no mucking around. Uh, <laughs> I love Batman Returns. I think it's an absolutely cracking film. But I've been watching Batman '89, so that's my mummy mummy pick based off uh, the immortal Bobby of Bobby Wills podcast and his love for that film and his uh, memories of his dad. So and and that caused me to go looking for the toys. Um, I'd love a Kenner 1989 Batmobile. Uh, and it's still awesome when he when he says shields up and that sort of, the metal sort of goes around the car and the wheels, you know, cover up. Very, very cool. Yeah. Very, very cool. I think um, the, the style Burton brought to those is, is really cool. And I think when they... When they switched to, I think who did the one after that? Was it Joel Schumacher? Yeah, I can't remember. But it, it it, yeah, it took it all took a turn for the worse after Returns for me. Well, I have um, to say, I, Batman Returns on the Mega CD, which I've got, um, the driving sections in that are phenomenal. Graphics are amazing. <laughs> the, the the actual yeah. platforming section very unforgiving. 
Uh, and unfortunately, the awesome car sections are punctuated by these rather annoying uh, <laughs> uh, platform sections. And I also had uh, a copy of Batman on the Atari ST, say Amiga, because all everyone else had the Amiga. There was me and Terry Blow who had the Atari ST. Um, and that was quite good, actually, because you did actually play through the film as if it was the film. And and you know, like in Batman 89, as they call it, or just Batman, because I think that's what it's <clears throat> known as, the Joker comes out with all these different combinations of um, pharmaceuticals and toiletries yeah. that can give you the Joker smile. And there was a bit where you were actually sat, your TV screen was sort of, made to look like the actual back computer and you had to go do this puzzle section where you had to work out whether it was lipstick and deodorant or lipstick deodorant and it, i think it was always changing so you could never use a guide or anything you had to just look it look get lucky um that was a cool little section definitely made me feel like batman <laughs> yeah that's sad take another final dip in the boot my friend now we've finished on nostalgia avenue let's batarang left and uh, grapple hook round on that tight turn. Do you want to take the next one or do you want to take the last one? Yeah. Uh, Trials of Manor, PC, PS4 and Switch, April 24. Trials of Manor is a modern revival of the third game in the seminal Manor series. The game originally released in Japan as Saiken Denistu 3 has been fully rebuilt from the ground up in... I reckon. Densetsu 3. It has been fully rebuilt from the ground up in 3D. Seen any footage of that? Yeah, I did have a little look at that, but it's it is too JRPG for me. Um, but yeah, still looks good if you're a fan of the series. Definitely. I thought it looked quite nice actually. I thought they'd done a pretty good mm. job. Um, I mean, it's, you know, transitioning into the 3D that it's in, they've done a very nice job. Uh, last one, and I think this looks absolutely belting. So I might need to fire up the green screen. Uh, might need to find a way to get into the aforementioned bunker to get that out, but uh, I'll get the green screen PC out and fire up XCOM Chimera Squad, April 24th. XCOM Chimera Squad. They'd have called it Chimera. That would have been an absolute belter, <laughs> wouldn't it? XCOM Chimera Squad delivers an all-new story and turn-based tactical combat experience in the XCOM universe. Boot down, no sound from leaving, because that's the way it happens. The whole thing just disappears like smoke. Boom, he's gone. Was he even here? We'll never know. We'll never know. Of our imagination. Tom, as always, the bookend that hold up the show, I ask you at the start what you're hoping to play, what you've been playing. Nearly slipped up there, fella. (laughs) You know, pro podcaster like you and I, I now have to ask you, what are you hoping to play? Now this is gonna this has got me peaked because you're all out of new games, brother. So I am. What the hell are you gonna play? I don't know. I don't know. Other than the usual online stuff. Don't you do I'll, I'll, I'll maybe just uh, have a bit more of a dabble on journey. Um but yeah, I think that's gonna be it till Streets Rage Four. And then after that, because of obviously the delays and stuff. Oh. This is it. I've just realized I've sat next to the hat rack 
And uh, Phil, yeah. the producer's got a genuine, genuine Indiana Jones fedora. I don't know if you can see that it actually says Indiana Jones. Excellent. I'll pop I won't out. be happy until yeah. I won't pop be happy on. until you escape out of the recording studio and grab it just in the nick of time. As the door slams, as the shutter door slowly slams down on, on your hand. Just as, as as Phil kicks me out, and, yeah. uh, I have to reach back in and grab the hat. Don't you know why it's <laughs> kicking me out? At a certain time, it gets very strange around the studio. Uh, James' work experience, boy, isn't down, loud down Phil the producer's street past eight o'clock at night. It's not. That's all I'll say on that. Yeah. Uh, what are you going to be playing? Oh. Well, I'm going to play, obviously, Assassin's Creed Syndicate. And when that's finished... Um... I want you to play the new ones just so you can tell me whether they're good or not. Oh, before you take the leap. Yeah. Um... Okay, so what's that, Origins and Odyssey? Yeah. I think you might need to let me take a little bit of a break from Assassin's Creed. If you don't, if you have a break now, you'll never go back to it. That's absolutely poppycock. And also, also, imagine that as a game in Accolade. Finished Assassin's Creed 1 to Odyssey in a row. I'll be honest with you, mate. I'll be absolutely brutally honest with you. If Syndicate hadn't been slightly more nice to play, I'd have been sick to the back teeth. The high watermark moment for me has been Assassin's Creed 3 or Brotherhood. 2 was good. Brotherhood was better for me personally. 3 has been an absolute, was an absolute standout. I love the bait and switch call me a loser if you like but I thought that was great plus I wasn't that invested in in any of it so I actually enjoyed the bait and switch mm-hmm. uh, Rogue was good again because there was a bit there's a bait and switch in that uh, Black Flag was overhyped drivel it's one of the worst pirate <laughs> games I've ever played <laughs> not very realistic at all it's basically it's basically Sid Meier's Pirates no further on in development, all the same mechanics, but with Assassin's Creed bolted on top of it. You know, not brutal. Uh, the standout character in that is James Kidd, Jim Kidd, and there's a bait and switch there, so I like that. Uh, Syndicate. Yeah. So may maybe maybe I'll I'll pick them up and I'll have a go at them, but I don't know. As a palate cleanser, I might play Far Cry Two. Okay. Or watchdogs keeping it Ubisoft because <laughs> give me the Ubi points, baby. I've got a massive <laughs> stack of Ubi points that I can't even spend on DLC, <laughs> I can only spend on hats, coats, and on and special exclusive weapons. Which, <laughs> you know, I wouldn't download anyway, and, and therefore I've got <laughs> even this, if they were free, even if they're free. And I've yeah. got this, although I did download uh, the Sherlock Holmes out. Uh, now, one thing I would say, Unity brought in like this interesting uh, detective element to it. And I'm thinking possibly that Syndicate will carry it on. I know that there's some 
DLC that you can't use your Ubi points for, which is completely ridiculous, <laughs> uh, for a Jack the Ripper uh, add-on. So I don't know whether ah, you can cool. or you can't be like a Sherlock Holmes-type character in this, but the investigation missions were a refreshing palate cleanser in Unity. I think oh, Phil, the producer, saying to me that he's nearly run out of reel-to-reel tape, uh, <laughs> this being the analog studio that he's recording in. And he's saying that he's, he's throat chopping at me and he's also tapping his watch and he's also indicating he's going to let a couple of youngsters out the cellar. I don't know what that's all about. Some dark law for Phil. Uh, not only did we say he called Mar- caused Marty Pello's back uh, fall to depravity at the top of the show, you're saying all this extra stuff. I'm saying all this extra stuff about your close friend. Uh is that all we've got to say about games this week, Tom? It is. All right. Well, oh, hang on a minute. <laughs> I nearly said bye without saying the intro, and I think that would be... Would that be desecration or not? I'm not sure. No. Really? Yeah, it's fine. They know they can't turn off until they've heard this. That's all okay. we have time for this week. Listeners, as always, thank you for your time. We look forward to the pleasure of speaking to you again next week. Until then, happy gaming. Remember, there's nothing wrong being given the unofficial controller. It's what you do with it that counts. See you, Tom. See you, mate.